Masech's Meister's Perik Aleph Mishnah Zion until Perik Base Mishnah Base. So far, we have seen two different lists in this first Perik of the Masechta. The first list was the Onas Hamaisras of different types of produce, and the Onas Hamaisras is the stage in a fruit's growth for it even to have an obligation of tithes. And the second list, which we're currently in the middle of, is the Goyren stage, or the stage of the Gemar Malacha, which means the end of the processing of that produce, such that the Trimus and Maisus have to actually be separated, and without that, the produce cannot be eaten even as a Chilasarai, even as a snack, as a temporary eating. So the next one on the list is Hayayan wine. When is wine considered to be fully processed? So the way that they would make wine was by using a wine press, and a wine press typically consisted of three different parts. Firstly, there was the Gashel Yena, the upper part of the wine press, which is where the grapes were trampled on and squeezed into juice. There was the Tsina, which was the pipe through which the juice flowed, and then it flowed into the Gashatachtoina, the lower part of the wine press, also known as the bow, the pit, and that is where all the juice went into and turned into wine there. Now there wasn't just the juice there, there was also all the skins of the grapes and the pips, but when they were in this burr, in this pit, after being left there for a long time, the skins and the pips would float to the top. And then they would remove these so that you would just be left with the juice. So the Mishnah says that Mishayakape, once the wine has been skimmed, meaning once the skins and the pits have been removed, that is considered the end of the processing of the wine. And the Mishnah adds that Afabisha even once that has occurred, the wine has been skimmed of the skins and the pips, if there's any grapes or wine left in the upper two parts of the wine press, which haven't been processed together with the rest of the wine, then that part can still be eaten as a snack, without separating Trimus and Maestras. So Kodimina he can gather the parts of the grapes which are in the top part of the wine press where the grapes were pressed, or from the pipe, and he can drink that wine, or he can eat part of the grapes which are left there, because that part is not yet processed. Now, Hashemen, when it comes to oil, when is the process of oil considered completed? So the way oil was typically made was that olives would be crushed, and then the crushed olives, together with the oily part of it, would be placed into a sack. That sack is called the Okol, and the sack itself was placed in a sort of container, a hard container known as the Yom, which literally means sea, and they would lower a very heavy beam onto the olives in the sack, such that it would be crushed even more, and the oil part of it would seep through the tiny holes in the sack, and it would go into an uka, which was another container where the oil would flow into. So the Mishnah tells us that once the oil has gone into this container, this hole even, it was often just a hole in the ground, then that is considered the processing, the end of the processing of the oil, such that it will be obligated in Maestras from that point onwards. And the Mishnah says once again, even once it has gone down into the ukar, little bit okol, one can take the parts which are left over in the sack when being a mammal, and on the mammal which was the tool used in order to crush the olives at the beginning of the process, when being a patsum in between the beams, or in between all the wood which the wine which the oil press was made out of. In short, all the parts of the oil and the olives which were not fully processed, so those are not yet obligated in trimmers and maestras, and therefore one is allowed to take them and eat them in a temporary manner. So Renaissance La Chamita Velatamchi you can apply that oil onto some sort of thin cracker. They would sometimes do that as soon as the cracker came out of being cooked or baked, they would add oil to it, or they could add the oil to a bowl full of a cooked dish, as long as it's not a proper meal, and then they would eat it in an achilas arai manner, in a temporary manner. 
However, the Mishnah does say that he cannot add this oil into a pot or a frying pan while the frying pan or the pot are boiling. And the reason for this is because cooking something obligates it in the tithes. Just like bringing food into the house or selling food obligates it into tithes, cooking it also gives it a sense of permanence. It's no longer considered just a casual snack and therefore you cannot add it to something which is still cooking. Now, halachically, for something to be considered cooking, it has to be of the temperature that yad soledes boy, which means it's too hot for somebody to touch for a long time. He has to remove his hand from that dish because it's too hot. Something which is of that temperature is considered to be something which halachically cooks, even if it's not on the fire anymore. Now, if that food is transferred from whatever pot it is in now into another container, then even if it is still boiling hot, the second container is called a klisheni, a second dish, and the halacha is that once it's been moved into a klisheni, it does not cook. And that's why we said that if the cooked dish was in some sort of serving dish, or some sort of bowl, even if it's still boiling, the oil can be added to there because it is not considered cooking halachically. Now, according to Yehuda, even the klisheni, the original pot in which the food was cooked, as soon as that has been removed from the fire, according to Yehuda, it cannot cook anymore. And therefore, La Kolhunosin, you can put the oil into any dish, even the frying pan or the pot itself, as long as it's been removed from the fire on which it was cooked. However, Behuda agrees, except for something which contains vinegar or fish juice, fish brine, because these two liquids cause the food to be cooked much more easily. So even if it's been removed from the fire, if it's still in the Klirishain, the original container, the original pot, then according to Behuda, even it can cook, and so you would not be able to add the oil into there. Mishnachet, the next item of food on the list is ho'igol, a fig cake. They would often dry figs and press them together into a cake. And after they would make it into a cake, the final stage was to rub certain juices around the cake in order to make it slightly more attractive and shiny. So Mishayach Likenu, once it has been smoothed and a juice has been added, that is considered the Gemar Malacha. And because we're talking about adding juices to a fig cake, the Mishnah goes slightly sidetracked and it tells us that According to the Tanakama, one is allowed to use tevel fruit, tevel figs and grapes, to smooth around this fig cake. And we're talking about a fig cake which has been tithed already. And according to the Tanakama, you can smooth tevel fruit around it, the juices of the tevel fruit, and the cake does not need to be tithed again. And the reason for this is because according to the Tanakama, since the juice is absorbed into the cake, as soon as it's applied to the cake, it's considered insignificant. It's not even considered a food, and it's totally secondary and part of the cake, and therefore tithes do not need to be separated from it. However, Behuda Iser, Behuda forbids you to apply these tevel juices onto the cake without separating mices from it, because according to him, it is still considered significant. And now Mish is going to bring another machlaikas with regards to this, and that is with regards to tumah, impurity. The halacha is that a food can only become tomei after it has become in contact with one of seven liquids. Water, wine, milk, and a few more. Now one of those liquids is wine or grape juice. But according to the Tanakama, Hamachlik Bar Novim, one who smooths this fig cake with grapes, so he squeezes the grapes so that juice comes out onto the fig cake, Loichuchshah, the fig cake does not become able to become Tomei, even though juices from a grape came into contact with the fig cake. And the reason for the Tanakama is because he only considers grape juice, one of these seven liquids, if it's used as a juice for drinking. 
But if it's used in order to provide a shiny look to a fig cake, that can hardly be called grape juice, and therefore the fig cake remains unable to make things tomei, or to become tomei. However, Rabbi Yehuda says that Hukshar, it does become able to become tomei, because at the end of the day, it is juice from a grape. It doesn't have to be used as a drink. So says Rabbi Yehuda, just like any other juice which comes out of a grape, it does make this fig cake able to become tomei. Continues the Mishnah, when it comes to other dried figs, which are not pressed into a cake, so if they were stored in containers like barrels, the Mishayodosh, once they are pressed down, in order to fit more in a barrel, they would press them down, and that is considered the final process. So Magura, and if these dried figs are stored in a storehouse, then Mishayagel, once the massive pile in the storehouse was smoothed over, just like we saw with regards to the piles of produce, once it is smoothed over, that is considered the completion of the processing of those figs. And the Mishnah ends off by telling us that What happens if he was pressing the figs down into the barrel, or he was smoothing over the pile, and as he was doing so, the barrel broke, or the storehouse opened up. So we've got a situation where half of the figs in this, or most of the figs in the storehouse or in the barrel, have already been pressed down, already been smoothed over. They're in their place. And once they've been put into the storeroom or into the barrel, they can no longer be eaten, even as a snack. But the last few figs that you added in, and you hadn't yet smoothed over or pressed into the barrel, so those have not yet completed their process because the barrel or the storehouse is now opened up, and therefore you can eat those in a temporary manner. But the Mishnah says, You cannot eat in a temporary manner the figs which were already there from before that. However, Biasi Mata, Biasi says that even those figs which were there before the barrel or the storehouse opened up, even those are permitted to be eaten as a snack, because according to Biasi, we look at all of the figs as one, and so their process is only completed once all of the figs have been put there and it's been smoothed over, or they've been pressed into the barrel. So if that hasn't happened to all of them because the barrel has opened up, or the storehouse has opened up, then all of the figs may be eaten in a temporary manner. Perik the halacha is that if somebody buys produce from an Am Ha'aretz, an ignorant person, who therefore does not observe all of halacha, so if somebody buys produce from him, he needs to be concerned that the Am Ha'aretz did not separate the tithes. And therefore, out of doubt, one who buys produce from an Am Ha'aretz, that produce is known as Demai, and he has to separate the tithes from there once more, or at least most of the tithes. Now, though he has to separate them from the produce and designate them, he won't necessarily have to give the tithes to those who would usually get them. For example, Mycerician. Mycerician usually goes to a levy, but we have a rule that One who wants to take something from somebody else needs to bring a proof that he is entitled to it. Now over here, the levy cannot prove that he's entitled to the Mycerician, because perhaps the Amharets had separated Mycerus already, and therefore the levy does not actually receive the Mycerician, and the owner can keep it himself. He just has to designate it as Mycerician in order to permit the rest of the food to be eaten, but then he would be able to eat that as well after he has designated it as Mycerician. Now we learned in Perak Aleph that if somebody gathers produce in order to bring home and eat himself and not to sell in the marketplace, then he only actually has to separate the Trimus and Mycerus once it's reached his house. And therefore, however Bashuk, if somebody an Amaretz was passing through a marketplace on the way home, and he had some figs with him. Omar and he said to a group of people, 
take for yourselves figs, he gives as a gift some of his figs to somebody else. Says the Mishnah, those people are allowed to eat the figs of Futurin, and they are exempt from separating Mysos from those figs. Now, at first glance, this seems strange, because in general, if somebody receives food from an Amharetz, he does need to separate the tithes. Why over here does he not need to separate the tithes? So the answer is that the whole obligation of the tithes hasn't even kicked in, because the Amharetz's produce hasn't been brought to his house. So you're allowed to eat it without separating the tithes. Now, if the Amharetz were to sell it to you, so we know that selling does obligate food in Maestras, but since he's giving it to them as a gift, it has not yet reached the stage where it's even obligated in Maestras, and therefore it can be eaten without tithing it. Lefichach, therefore, in Hechnizul if instead of eating it on the spot, those people bring it into their houses, then Masaklim Vadai, they need to fix it, which means they need to tithe it as definitely untithed produce, which is known as Tevel, which is food from which it is certain that the tithes have not been separated. So even though this came from an Amoretz, and in general, if you separate tithes from an Amoretz's produce, it's considered demai. So for example, you would be able to keep the Maeserishan, as long as you just designate it. In this case, you have to treat it as Tevel, and separate all of the tithes and give them to the Levi or to the poor people and to the Kohen. The reason being that, as we said before, the whole obligation of Maestras had not yet taken effect when the Amoretz gave you the produce. So the Amoretz would not have separated the Trumas and Maestras, and you can be certain of that. And therefore this is considered Tevel, so you would have to tithe the produce since you brought it to your house, so that is when it became obligated in Trumas and Maestras. Alright, now the Mishnah offers a slightly different scenario, and this is when the Amoretz says, Take figs for free, and bring them into your house. So by telling you to bring it into your house, the Amoritz Amor- is trying to say, you're even allowed to bring it into your house and you won't even have to separate Trumas and Maestras even once you brought it into your house, because I have done it already. That's what the Amoritz says. Now the halacha is that you're not allowed to believe in Amoritz when he says that the produce has been tithed. But from the fact that he told you that he'd done it, implies that it was obligated in the tithes, meaning that the Amoritz had already been home. Because otherwise, the Amorites would never have even considered separating the tithes because it wasn't yet obligated in the tithes. So since it already became obligated in tithes, when the Amorites had it, this is treated as regular demai produce. So firstly, lo it's forbidden to eat from that produce even as a snack, because we assume that it is already obligated in Maestras, and that the tithes have not yet been separated. Lefichoch, therefore, if this person then brings the produce into his house, well, that makes no difference, because it was already obligated, and became obligated when the Amoretz brought it into his house. So it's like regular produce which you bought from an Amoretz, and therefore, in Amoretz, you would only fix it, you would only tithe it as the Mai, and as we explained, one of the consequences of that is that my Serishan, for example, would be able to be kept, and would not go to the Levi, as is the Halacha, with regular Demai produce. If a group of people were sitting at a gate or in a shop, and the owner of the gate or the owner of the shop said, take for yourselves figs, and he offers them fruit. Now the owner did not enter under the gate or in the shop, he is still outside of the shop, and he gives you the figs outside of the shop, and then you bring in the figs into his shop. The question is, does that obligate the fruit in Trimus and Maestras, as usually bringing produce into one's home does, or not? So the answer is, they are allowed to eat the food and they are exempt from separating Trimus and Maestras from that food. And the reason is because of a very important rule, that only if the owner is the one who brings the food into his house, does the food then become obligated in Maestras, but if it's somebody else, even if the owner is right there and even if he's giving it to you, 
that still doesn't obligate them in Maestras. But of course the owner of the gate and the owner of the shop would be obligated if they themselves brought the food into their shop or into their gateway because they own that. Now interestingly Rabbi Yehuda Peter, Rabbi Yehuda says that even the owners will be exempt in this case because although they own that place they're not going to really eat there the entrance of a shop or during it or through a gate and according to Rabbi Yehuda a house or a building is only going to be obligating something in Maestras if the owner would eat there. But since it is very uncommon for an owner to eat in public, even in a shop, it would not obligate the might in Maestras. Unless he turns away his face from the public, or if he changes the place where he's eating in order to do it in private, so then he's showing that even there he would eat a proper meal himself, and so his shop or gate would obligate that produce in Maestras.